See, that's a mistake that all of you should recognize. When you have something you are to do, always write everything down. Uh, I did not introduce our speaker for today. We are very fortunate to have uh, Professor Hill from the psychology department. He will be speaking to us. And there's the beauty of, of my mistake. I get to see that um, I have learned so much working on the same hall with uh, Mr. Hill this year. I have learned the Christ-like spirit that he carries and that he has taught all of you in this year in the classes. So welcome Professor Hill to the microphone. I have no idea who she was talking about right there, but um, you know, it's uh, one of the sayings, I can't believe this. You've got to be kidding me. This is one of the things I imagine that a 10-year-old and two 9-year-olds said when their parents told them, guess what? You're going to have a brother. What? And here I am. I've got to grow up in a family where you've got these guys, 10 years older, 9 years older, got twin brothers. Here I am, the little guy. And how do you live up to brothers that are very good athletes, very good in school, good in theater. you got to be kidding me. I've got to live with these guys. How do you do that? So one of the things these guys were to me were my greatest role models, but they were also my greatest tormentors. When I was little and was able to walk around and run around, I was told by them, I don't know if I was concussed or not, but they would throw pillows at my feet to knock me down. And that was a game I guess they used me for. I guess I was useful for them for some things. But I tried to model myself after them and the different things that they did because I saw them as if I lived like them and did those things like them, then, man, I've got it made. So I tried to do that and implement that in myself. But then, you know, there was a, a mind shift. Something happened. You know, you grow up and you go... You get into that awkward stage, and, you know, what is going on? I mean, look at this picture. I mean, I, I can't even turn around to look at it, right? <laughs> but something happened. I didn't realize this was me. I just considered myself as the little guy in the middle with the, the smile on his face until I was at a family gathering on Thanksgiving. This awkward, pudgy time was the beginning of not being a part of family, but being the butt of a joke among family. When you have a brother who's looking for laughs, I get it. I like laughs. We were watching a movie, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and there was this part in the movie where the hot air balloon would come in and the, it would be on the commercials and my brother for a joke he said hey look it's Jeff and my cousins are laughing and I'm going oh man and then every time it went to commercial there's the, the hot air balloon he said it the second time and it wasn't as funny so you know when you have a joke and it starts to lose its laugh you got to kind of ramp it up so then it got to the point where hey Jeff pull up your shirt and show everybody the Goodyear blimp symbol on your stomach. Oh, it was crushing to me. Because I got to that point where 
the ridicule and the feelings of rejection shaped my perspective of me. I never saw myself from that perspective before. And what he said to me, I created a story about me. That was my doing. It wasn't his. A stream of thoughts were unwanted, unworthy, unlovable. The repair, well, work hard. Work hard to be wanted. Work hard to be worthy. Work hard to be loved. Become what the world views as acceptable and do what society says that makes life worth living. So you play sports. You play it cool. You try to make people think that you're one thing when in your mind you think that you're another thing. So this image of unwanted, unworthy, unloved, in spite of how I was changing, continued to be an undercurrent that undermined my sense of self. So what do you do? Well, you keep working. I started uh, doing uh, model building. I worked in an industry that built design models and uh, accident reconstruction models. And, and here, I'm being a model of models. Do you get it? All right, so um, that's me on the right, modeling models. And this is the work that we did. So in life, I go, okay, I've, I've got to build the validation plan. Working the relationships, hitting the parties, building a career, buying a new car. I'm on my way to the dream, right? But it wasn't long until the car became just transportation. It wasn't long till the career became just a job. The parties pooped out, the relations bottomed out, and I've got to be kidding myself that this is how you get validation because that undercurrent continued to undermine the things that I was trying to become. Again, the undermining current of unwanted, unworthy, unloved. I believed the world. I believed that it could deliver something that the world couldn't deliver. I bought the lie. you got to be kidding me. What do I do now? If this is a lie, what do I do? Where do I go? Where do I turn? And I was fairly religious growing up, never really committed, but I finally thought, man, I've, there's got to be something better than this. And I talked to a friend and said, well, maybe you need to start checking out some stuff. And I said, yeah, maybe I do. I think maybe I need to start seeking God. And she said, don't turn your back on that because maybe that's exactly what you need to do. So this thing that I come to realize about myself was it's called imposed shame from a psychological perspective. It's what my brother said to me that now I continue to say to myself. Do you have that in you? Something that someone said a long time ago that defined your value that now they're not even there to say it, but you say it to yourself. It's called imposed shame, and the opposer is someone from outside, but now you have banded with that person, not for your growth, but for your struggle. Where do I turn? Well, I started turning to God, and I read a passage of Scripture. It was Acts 17, what was read earlier. 
from one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him, though he is not far away from each and every one of us. He's just an outstretched arm. He's just waiting there. He wants us to take that step towards him. And that's what I was doing. And he says, as some of your own poets have said, we are his, his offspring because it's for in him we live, we move, and have our being. Really, there's something outside of this world that can give me value, that the world that I thought was going to give me value lied to me, but now will this lie to me? And the more I pursued it, the more I realized this isn't a lie. I was able to begin to see me from a different perspective, from God's perspective, the one who knew me best, the one who knew me most, in spite of my weaknesses, in spite of my strengths, because he doesn't love me because of those things. He loves me because he created me. And all those other things are secondary. I have value in this world because of the one who is beyond this world. And I love this passage in Zephaniah. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice over you with singing. Rejoice over you. Could you imagine when you hear these love songs, the creator of all things who created music to be able to tell you how beautiful and meaningful you are to him. Do you know, I always have in this background that unworthy, unlovable, unwanted. But it takes a really good friend to call you out on this, a friend who knows these, this psychological terminology who will say, when I get that falling back into that old way of thinking, when he said, do you know you're being delusional? Oh, you're right. I'm buying the lie again. But it's so easy. But when I was preparing for uh, this, I looked in an old journal of mine. I'm going to read to you what it says. To love and be loved demands an openness to self and to others. Open to self in that love is directed inward so it can be more fully appreciated outward. Without expectation or demand, this enables the receiving in more full ways the love of God and the love of others because of who they say I am, even if I'm blind to it. The past has shaped me, but does not need to define me. I get to choose what I will do with my shape. The more I know God can use any shape frees me from my or others' enslavement to expectations. Expect God to love. Expect God to shape. Expect God to use me. My role, be available. Trust and desire to grow in my longing for God. That God satisfies. I'm uniquely made, uniquely gifted. I must embrace me. I must love me. I am loved by God, even though I may not be loved by others. Trust fully God's love. Place the love of others 
in its proper place. Wouldn't it be amazing that at the campus of York College, that in spite of our woundedness and the shame that we carry, that we would become a people who each and every one decides, I'm going to be a person who brings peace to others. That I'm going to let my words and my actions bring healing rather than harm because the world has enough harm in it. And I want to challenge all of us to be that kind of people. Because if we're in a community like that, we're in a community that looks less like the world. And we become a community that looks more like God's kingdom, that represents God's will.